You know, I think um, sometimes people look at stories like mine and you see where I'm at now. You see where a person is at in their, you know, the sort of their overcoming phase. You don't see all the work that's been put in behind it. What I try to let people know is that, yes, you can. And you do it by starting out. You you can only go 10 miles by taking one step. You start out by taking one step. And so it's also a huge, huge benefit to encourage and ask for support from others when we're taking those steps, right? When we surround ourselves with other people that are heading in the same direction, So I just want people to know always that, yes, you can, that we can do this together, that you do not have to do it alone. And the things that we tell ourselves are often lies. And whatever we tell ourselves is the truth, right? It's our truth. They might be lies, but it's our truth. So we have to be really careful what we tell ourselves. And if we want to change the message that we're telling ourselves, we do it the same way we adopted the message on that we're repeating to ourselves on a daily basis. We just start saying it. And so make a list of the things that you want to think and feel about yourself. Start looking at yourself in the mirror and saying those things out loud every day. Find other people that are heading in the same direction. Ask for the support of those people. More often than not, We don't want to feel alone. And that includes every human being on the face of this planet. So find me on my social media, talk to the professor of perseverance and really, really learn that we're not doing anything that nobody else isn't capable of doing. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, come on in here again today. Let's get some motivation inspiration. Let's get some encouragement. Let's get some knowledge. Let's get something that's going to give us something to grab a hope of. And when we know we're struggling takes place, we can refer back to this and know that we can help other people and have a good life, no matter what happened to us. Hey, may not be the best life, but it can be better than what we would have if we just sit and mold and did nothing about it. Today, we're going to interview the little, oh, this is going to be pretty good here. All right, pretty, pretty good here. I got a friend. Let's go back here. I got a friend real quick. He's got a DUI. All right. 40 years ago. And he's told me for 40 years, I can't get a job because of my record. What? That's 40 years ago you got that uh, DUI. And he says, oh, because of my record, I can't get a job. I said, okay. So, I mean, don't want to hurt his feelings, but I did say, I just don't think you want to work. But what do I know? So, all right. But on this one here, according to what I've read and everything, he said 17 felonies. <laughs> so his one felony with the DUI, she got 17 and she decided to wake up, change her life, and do something about it, and get out and help other people. Welcome to the show, Jenny Burton. Hello, Professor of Perseverance. Hey, 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 I got to get a bell when people start doing all that stuff, and ding, 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 ding. So I got yeah. to do something to make it when they jump out like that. Hey, appreciate you being here. Um, uh, and also, I appreciate you being here and sharing your valuable time with us. 
because we know time is valuable. So, yes. all right, again, we've mentioned a little bit. We're not going to go piece by piece by piece by piece. No, no, no. You just give it a general idea what was going on with your life, where you were, and then let's get into how you uh, conquered this. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> well, I was born in 1972. Both of my parents were addicts. Oh, hold I on, had hold no on. idea. Hold on, hold on. My, yep. grand, my grandfather would do it like this. It was back in 1972. Yeah. All right. Okay, go ahead. All right. Back in 1972, I entered the world. There you um, go. <laughs> my parents were, um, you know, they were addicts, and I had no idea. Uh, I don't think any of my siblings had any idea. It was it was a while before I even understood what that meant, and um about four years into my uh, very colorful life, my dad was uh, taken to prison. Our house was raided. I was standing out on the top of the steps. And what I had learned as a result of his incarceration was that it was because of drugs. That was really all the details I remember ever getting. So I was pretty terrified of drugs. Um, academically, at the time, I was uh, tested and put into school early. Uh, they labeled me as gifted um, and then a couple of short years later, my mom, who was already remarried, introduced me to drugs. I didn't want to, but the pressure, um, was more than I could really handle as a seven-year-old kid. And I gave in because it provided me acceptance. And so, uh, my life just kind of spiraled out of control for about 30 years and everything. Okay, let, let me ask this, Jeannie, that yeah, yeah. you said your mother got you into it, of course, seven years old. Yeah, I, I don't do that. I don't know what you're talking about and everything. And, uh, and you follow the mom and dad's mom's pressure. I understand that. But why did she want to get you involved? I would think this would be something she's going, no, you stay away from it. I mean, yeah. I grew up, my mom and dad, they smoked cigarettes. That's about as far as we got. Uh, yeah. They drank occasionally on the weekends. But one day I was saying, hey, I want to try smoking. No, you can't do this. You you don't want to do it. And they, I mean, they'll give me all the reasons why not to. And of course, I'm thinking, why are y'all doing it? <laughs> so, yeah. I did, I did, so I didn't know if maybe if your mom just didn't want to do it by herself. She wanted to have someone with her to have company. Uh, follow my yeah. cues. I don't know. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I can speculate. I have speculated. I do speculate at times. Mm -hmm. uh, what I would probably imagine is that I was kind of a weak link. Uh, I had a couple of teenage brothers at the time. And uh, well, at least one of them was nearly a teenager. And uh, and they had devised a plan with my mom to smoke weed when her husband was out of town uh, for chemotherapy because he had he had colon cancer. And so um, and, and I think that really getting me to do it along with everybody else was a way to keep me quiet about it. So okay. uh, I, I don't think that my mom had the strongest or best skill set. I think that she probably had some, you know, personality disorders that. Um, that affected her life. And I think she was probably unaware. She was a young mom with a whole mm -hmm. bunch of kids and, and just un, very unskilled. And so, um, yeah, but you know, our, her and my relationship, which was very volatile for a long time, um, led down that road of addiction and, you know, with it came violence, with it came criminal behavior, with it came incarceration, with it came further domestic violence relationships that mimicked her and my relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my patterns and my foundation were created around the sickness of addiction. And so, uh, when yeah, you grew, and, up, you you know, grew up, it's what you knew. It is what I knew. Yeah. yeah and when even you grew up, though, it's what you know. Yeah. Yeah. I felt, I felt spiritually conflicted for a really long time. And, you know, my, I personally held myself responsible for not making a stronger choice and saying no. Uh, and it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I had the opportunity to um, to consider my youngest child, who was roughly the age that I was when I made the decision to use with my family. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to ask myself if I thought she was capable of being as strong as I expected myself to be. And I, and I just don't think so. She's a, she's a tiny little child and, and very impressionable. And so, you know, it was at the age of 40 that in, while I was sitting in a prison or a jail cell looking at a fourth prison term that I was able to actually forgive myself for making that choice and having understanding for my seven-year-old self. And so, um, and See, that, that's, that's huge in itself right there. That's where we, the healing started. Yeah, yeah. We, we're, we're taught in an early age forgive other people who we felt has mm-hmm. hurt us, you know, yeah. but rarely are we taught to forgive ourselves for our mistakes. And I okay. think that is huge when we forgive ourselves and learn from the mistakes and learn from the journey and, you know, move on. But the, yeah. that's, that's huge in itself. When you said you, you, you forgave yourself uh, while in cell. Yeah. I mean, you know, so what what had happened, you know, of course, the addiction spiraled out of control. I became all of the things that I swore that I never would. Uh, I was a despicable human and could not stand the person that was looking back at me in the mirror. So when I didn't die, which I gave it my best shot, uh, and I ended up, you know, facing myself in another jail cell looking at a, a prison sentence, I knew at that point that I had better figure out how to start living And that's when I started to implement some change. And, and, you know, there's a saying that when the pain to remain becomes greater than the pain to change, that's when we take action. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of and that was uh, almost 10 years ago. And um, it's been a wild and really, really, really hard journey. But it's I have no doubt of that. Yeah, it's, you know, for 40 years, you know, uh, mine has been born first six years, but the 40 years, you know, all you've known is this life. That's right. And now past 10 years, getting out of it and staying out of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's been, it's been quite the journey. I, um, I remember, you know, my first prison sentence, I had hopes, you know, to sort of implement something in my life. Uh, I was unsuccessful. Um, and then seven short months later, after my first release, I ended up getting three more felony charges and going back for another five years. That is when I really had an, a deep understanding that I was a drug addict and that if I at least remove the drugs from my life, that I might have a chance. So so that was in uh, 97 that I was arrested and I made the decision to be abstinent Um I didn't really have a lot of, um, gosh, I don't know, services that were, you know, available to me because Uh prison isn't really set up that way. And so, um, you know, but I did what I could and I piecemealed together something. And and then I stayed clean for almost two years after my release. So so my journey um, toward, I think, um, 
independence sort of started back then. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think things definitely could have been different if, you know, certain components were in place that would have actually helped me to overcome some things, which has been what my focus has become over this last decade. The first portion of this last decade has been, uh, okay, how does Ginny stabilize Ginny? How does Ginny refragment the fractured pieces of her, you know, internal self, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and thankfully the universe, God, you know, whatever a person wants to describe it as has shown up, you know, that saying that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Uh, I've had so many people land in my path that have taught me what I needed in order to make it beyond these places that I didn't think I could make it beyond in the past. And, and what it's done is it's kept me afloat one day at a time, right? And, and I've stopped putting mood-changing, mind-altering substances into my body. And as I started to love and take care of myself and treat myself like a person that I respected, it has given me an opportunity to become far more aware of what the problem is surrounding other people's lives similar to myself. So it's become my mission, essentially, to, you know, create um, intervention in support mm -hmm. in the lives of people similar to myself, because right now we're not seeing that anywhere in our nation. We're seeing something quite contrary. So, you know, we've been at one really stark end of the pendulum and now we're way over on this other one. And what we need is something in between. And so, you know, I don't think that my story is an accident. I think that it was, it was very intentional, you know, on the part of, on the part of my higher power. And, uh, and it's given me an opportunity to, you know, try to um, give people the same uh, equation, I think, that that I've been able to solve in my own life. So, and and to help them find their way to their own solution. Yes. Now, again, let's go with, you've had uh, 17 felonies? That's correct. All right. 17 and the pain of finally hating where you're at and it's time to change is come, come now. And yeah. so... Pick it up from there. How how fast once you get out, or you may may have been starting your change while you're in and preparing for when you got out um, from there. So what took place? Yeah. So well, seventeen felonies happened over a, a, a period of time, and that's not including my juvenile record. Uh, I started um, being arrested at about the age of thirteen. Um, my last arrest, I was forty, uh, and uh, you know, during that time, I accrued a number of criminal charges. And so, um, you know, each time I got the opportunity to be separated from the destructive environment, um, ideas about what I wanted my life to look like would, you know, come up. And, and I needed that clarity in order to even formulate an idea, right? And and have sort of, um, uh, I think, a a marker as to what I wanted to at least aim for. Right. And, and I didn't, I wasn't necessarily equipped with the information I needed to actually, you know, to reach that, uh, that target. But, uh, but I definitely, you know, did what I could to try to get there. And so, um, you know, and I think that um, when it comes to, and I appreciated the story that you shared about your friend, 
in the beginning because I cannot tell you how many people I, and it's always funny to me, right? Because I literally 17 felony convictions and a number of incarcerations. Um, and I'm just not one of those kind of people that, that you can tell me that I can't and that I'm actually going to believe you or listen to you. Right. And so I might mm-hmm. argue with you a little bit, maybe flip you off. I don't know. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, it's like I'm not going to let somebody tell me what I can or can't do. I'm very, very rebellious in that way. And then I think that it served me quite well. Um, so, you know, I had this idea about about what I wanted to do. And I felt very compelled um, long before I ever actually got there to be of service um, to others, because I'm really good, even in the drug world, I am really good at being the middle person, having and maintaining relationships and being a navigator to get what it is that you need. And so it's um, it's very similar in regards to you know everything that I'm doing in my life now. It's all about finding and creating relationships, maintaining those relationships, And essentially, um, you know, just creating a web, a network, you know, not just for myself, but but for anybody else to be able to access things. And and I think that that's been a huge benefit to me when it comes to being able to get out and, you know, and do these things that other people say, oh, it's just not possible. I can't do that because I really like to highlight what is actually possible, you know, not exactly. Yes. Yeah, I will say this. There are some states that are more prohibitive when it comes to gaining employment. Um, but, you know, often it's because the person doesn't try. Exactly. That's what it is. And just, don't get me wrong, this friend, when I say the one DUI, uh-huh. he quit school in high school. It uh, was middle yeah. school, seventh grade. He was drinking and doping. And, and yeah, so the one DUI, but he had been rest, arrested, put in jail, in penitentiary off and on his life for 20 years. So it's more than just the one DUI, uh, other things, but still, um, and he was, he was a decent mechanic while he was in uh, incarceration in penitentiary. uh, They had an automotive class for him so he can learn, get a certificate so he can get out and get a job. And, you know, they're going to try to help him get a job because they don't want him coming back. And, um, yeah, he decided he didn't want to complete the uh, program. Mm-hmm. And one time, one of the last times he did get locked up, they sent him to counseling, AA, and they're trying mm-hmm. to talk with him. And he did say this to him, which is very true. He said he told the woman, you can say everything you want, but until I get it in my own head, I want to change. There's nothing you're going to do to tell me. Yeah. And she said, mm-hmm. yep, you're right. And she said, you don't have to come back anymore. <laughs> and yeah. but, and so, yeah, you're right until he got in his head to change. And like I said, he was a decent mechanic, uh, but now, yeah, he's so old. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I don't know if he's even got a chance out there now. Uh, so, all right. Get off his stories. Get on yours. So, yeah. But, uh, wait a minute. I got to go because I always tell this funny story. And I never tell the guy's name, even this one. Uh, but. Here's one of his funny ones one time. Uh, we live in Tennessee. And one time years ago, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, the lottery had finally gotten up to like the one billion mark, mm-hmm. one billion dollars. And he come to me one day and he says, hey, see what that uh, lottery's up to. And I said, yeah, man, it's one billion. Well, I sure would love to play it. I said, I would love to win it. I never played it, but I would love to win it. And mm-hmm. then he goes like, yes, here's, here's his thinking. Here's his thinking. He says, I'd love to win it too, but if I won it, they would take my food stamps away. They, them, they meaning the 
food stamp people, government, yeah. if I was to win that, they would take my food stamps away. And I said, you could live off half a billion dollars, 500 million. <laughs> you could live off that, that you need $190 in food stamps. Yeah. So that's his thinking when he says, with my record, no one would hire me. And he, again, just like you, you know as well as do, I had this other buddy, we went to school together, and I don't think he graduated. He got in some serious trouble. He got locked up for 38 years. Mm. Just just got out six months ago, and he's got a job working. Yeah. So this guy, he just doesn't want to work. So, yeah. And it's and I go, you know, I go, I'm only in a wheelchair, and you know, I try my best to work. Yeah, and and here you so well, let's get off him. Let's get on to yours. Okay, so now then, you've you've you got your mind all fired up. You're ready to straight. You want to get out and do something to make a better life for you. Try to help others. I know you went to college, and what happened there? Yeah, so you know, I was clean for about so oh, I don't know, um, almost four years, and the person I was in a relationship with relapsed on drugs, and he. Uh, he went a little bit crazy and I became a victim of his crime. And uh, I was also working in social services at the time. I was uh, supervising three case management programs for one of the largest nonprofits in Western Washington. And, um, and I just wasn't, I didn't have the freedom. My contractual agreements prohibited me from actually helping people to overcome they, I was supported in putting people in specific positions so they could, you know, oh gosh, how do I want to say this? I think seem independent to, you know, our homeless in information management system, but um, that's not really what was going on. A lot of the times people would end up homeless again. They would be evicted. They had no skill set to actually maintain some of the things oh, yeah. that we're doing. Yeah. You know, and then with with my husband, I, you know, because I'm married to the man, you know, that relapsed years ago, he um, I knew he was going to go into prison and get out the same person. And so uh, I knew that there weren't lawmakers in position and people in our system that actually had the ability to create real solutions because if you don't know, you don't know. If you haven't lived it, you're not going to know how to navigate your way out of it very well. Mm -hmm. And we can we can see that testament, you know, throughout our system nationally. And so, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't. It's, like it's amazing point. how they try to make decisions on things they don't know about. Yeah, you know, and, and they and they're too arrogant to try to find out more about it by interviewing someone like you or a disabled yeah. person like me, and but they want to tell us how we ought to be doing our life. That's right. Well, you know, and that's what they've been trained to do, and they believe they're doing the right thing, and they believe that they know, and they believe that they have a better skill set, right? And and as with any single person, like, I can't go into a, I don't know, a hair salon and tell people how to start cutting hair, right? Because oh, exactly. And so, you know, and, and, and that goes across the board, right? We all have, you know, our niche or our expertise and our foundational learning and, and things like that. And, uh, and you're right, if people need to be consulted. And so, you know, understanding this and knowing the system as intimately from a, you know, a defendant and a prisoner perspective and a service um provider perspective, just having such a multifaceted perspective, I 
knew that if I continued on my, and mind you, I was living in Seattle at the time and I was raising a minor child and, um, and we were living just above the poverty line. Uh, mm -hmm. I was spiritually rich. I was holding a position that seemed important, but it did not provide what I needed to actually care for my family. Um, and so, you know, a multitude of, of things sort of converged and, and that's when I made the decision to go back to school. And when that happened, when I went back to school, I went back to community college. I was still working full time. I was still parenting my middle school age child. I was going through the trial process with my husband. I was visiting my, my eldest child in prison, um, you know, and I was trying to support my middle child and my grandson as she, you know, was sort of um, trying to gain some stability. And so my life was really full. Um, and so I really, I needed to raise my station, but I also wanted to create some solutions because after considering my husband, I had to also consider the other 18,300 people that were incarcerated or that are incarcerated in the state of Washington. And I took into consideration the town where I'm from and the problems that the majority of people there have with drugs with uh, pregnancies, with, uh, you know, with single parent pregnancies, with economic challenges and system involvement. Uh, that's when I made the decision to, you know, to go to school. And I knew that in order for me to actually get a degree that was going to be beneficial, that I had to go farther than an associate's degree. And I mm -hmm. also knew I did not want to accrue a tremendous amount of debt. So, mm -hmm. I worked my buns off is what I did. I just worked really hard. I shot for scholarships and, and eventually um, I started being recruited by Ivy league schools. Uh, I made the decision to apply and attend uh, the university of Washington in Seattle. I received a number of scholarships and in 2020 I applied for and became the Washington state Truman scholar which is a pretty prestigious award that I wasn't even certain like what I just thought I was applying for some grad school money. And what I got mm -hmm. was, was much greater than that. And so, um, so that's what happened. And, um, you know, and I, and I excelled, I excelled in that process and uh, made it on the front page of the political science department, made it on the front page of UW's website. And, uh, and I was surprising myself over and over again, because what I saw when I looked in the mirror was the drug addict with 17 felony convictions who had a number of broken relationships who had failed their children who, you know, that that's what I saw. And as I excelled in some of these environments that I did not feel worthy to be in, I realized that I am as worthy as anyone else and that, uh, and that I'm very capable. And then I started to really have, this experience where I knew that my life experience had meaning and that it held power and mm -hmm. that I did have a skill set and knowledge that was necessary to help a tremendous amount of people in our society. Well, I think you've done uh, pretty good. Thank you. So pretty good. So have you completed your grad Nope, I deferred my grad school. So uh, last year, my story went viral all over the world. Uh, I was on a couple of documentaries in Seattle. Um, That's how I found you. Uh, what's the one? Eric Johnson's. Uh, uh, thank you. Yes. The Redemption of Junie Burton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was on a couple of shows with Eric. Well, like four. And um, he found me by accident one day before I started school. Um, and then, you know, 
he just he found a lot of value in my experience. And so uh, we created a friendship and we were very aligned and still are very aligned on a lot of our perspectives around what's happening in our society nationally. Um, but I was then contacted. I was contact. I've been contacted by so many people uh, and I accepted a position down in uh, San Diego County, uh, where I helped to launch what's called the Overcomers Network. Mm-hmm. And I became actually your state commissioner, the state commissioner for Department of Human Services there in Tennessee. Clarence Carter uh-huh. is a friend of mine, and I was working with him as well. I was actually just visiting Nashville back in February. Okay. So, um, So, yeah, so I was doing some work with Commissioner Carter and some work with uh, Solutions for Change down in North San Diego County. And uh, so I deferred my grad school admission and um, and now I'm doing some other stuff back in Washington State. So I still have not made the decision to go to grad school. I think the access that I have right now and the platform that I have um, has given me an opportunity to achieve policy change, which is what I was going to go to school for a master's Uh in public policy. Uh, but the platform that I have right now has given me the ability to, um, to impact and affect change in a way that's far greater than that master's degree would allow me. I still have um, the scholarship from the Truman Foundation um, available to me when I'm ready to go to grad school. Mm-hmm. I think that my trajectory will probably be a, dif- a little bit different. And I think probably if I make the decision to go back to grad school, that it will be for simply the pleasure of an education as opposed to achieving a career um, milestone, if that makes sense. Well, and I'm just going to tell you, you you don't have to take a full load to, go, to continue on and do everything else you're doing. You just take one class yeah, a semester in five years, you'll have one. So yeah. you don't have to feel like you have to beat yourself up. But again, if there's really no benefit of mm-hmm. getting it compared to what you're doing now, there's no need wasting you know, yeah. your time with it. And so it's but it's but this one thing is totally up to you. Yes, so, for sure. And so, um, I can't couldn't fault you either way. Uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just so pleased and glad and so proud that I got to meet you through this. Thank and you. um, Same. and for you to have found your way finally and let the world see you blossom out there to see the real you, not the fake wannabe. Hi, I wish I could have. Things could have been different. That you finally fought through it. And yeah, and everybody's getting to witness the real you persevering. Got to get a ticket perseverance in there right. uh, through through hardship. And so right. it's it's amazing to me that when I get to talk to people like uh, you and me and others, that uh, just their journey just fires me up. So, yeah, I'm the same way. And and I agree with you. And, you know, more than the rest of the world getting to see my transformation, I have been so grateful to experience my own transformation because I had no self-belief for many, many years. I Mm -hmm. did not think that success, which for me means following through and attaining my goals. um, I didn't think that that was possible for someone like myself. I didn't see myself as worthy or having any value. 
And when I get the opportunity to stop and take a look at what I'm accomplishing, um, even just my daily routine of doing the same thing over and over again, that's where the hard work exists, continuing to show up for the things that we consider mundane or that have been labeled boring or, or what have you. That's actually the hard work. And, and for me to experience myself doing that, um, that is where the blessings have existed for me is really being able to see my worth as a human being because I'm a human being, not because I've accomplished things, but just because I'm on this earth. And, and that's the message that I try to give to others. It's like, you are worthy. You are so worthy just as you are. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I go to the place where I tell people that, um, if you know, if you can't love yourself, how can you expect other people to? And you so can only you, get what you got. Yeah, you you've got to respect yourself enough to to do the the hard work to not to go back to do whatever happened. So you got to respect yourself and work. I, I I'm in a wheelchair. You know, I've said it before, and uh, I have to work on keeping my weight down, mm-hmm. and because of lack of exercise. But yeah. you know, here's here's what's um, relevant to what you're just saying. About the hard part is your daily routine, trying to stay and do. Uh, I find it's easier for me when I lose weight than mm-hmm. it is to maintain it afterwards. Yeah. And so here you are with your transformation. You're talking about difficult days on just doing the 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 right things, the boring things, you know, to maintain it. And so yeah, that I can see that happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Jen, Jen A. Is that how Forrest Gump does it? Jenna? That's right. That is there you yeah. go. Well, I'm, again, I'm just so blessed that uh, I got to meet you and we got to go through this. And I appreciate uh, you being vulnerable and opening up and sharing with us to help the next person that's going to get a chance to watch this. You know, they say stuff on the Internet's there forever. So just yeah. think 100 years from now, someone's going to find you and then going to, you're going to straighten them up, too. Well, thank you, JB. All right. Hey, um, hey. Tell your uh, social media, website, anything like that, and have people uh, may want to reach out that's uh, struggling with theirs and maybe you can help them. For sure. So I have a website. It is www.v as in Victor, G-I-N-N-Y-B-U-R-T-O-N.com. So vginnyburton.com. My Facebook, you can find my public figure page, which is V Ginny on Facebook. My personal page is V Ginny Burton on Facebook. I am V Ginny Burton on Instagram and I am Virginia Burton on LinkedIn. You can find me in all of those places. All right. You just told me why, uh, what the V was representing when you said the last one. Yes, it's Virginia. <laughs> and okay. oh, and I also have a group on Facebook. It's called Courage to Change Gratitude and Goals. Uh, mm-hmm. And that it's a support group, essentially, where we go in and we list the things that we're grateful for. It's not addiction specific. It is about goals. It is about overcoming and challenging ourselves to meet the things that might seem mundane on a daily basis uh, that and, you know, supporting each other through those things. So. That's uh, Courage to Change, Goals and Gratitude on Facebook. And I'll try to catch uh, as many of these as I can. I'll put in the show notes to make it easier for people to find you and click on the link and go from there. Okay. So, all right, Jenny, uh, again, thank you for being here. If you can leave yeah. us one last thing here. We know people are hurting and struggling. Yeah. And if you can help with one, one big, huge, positive nugget that could help them get through today, that'd be a blessing. Yeah. 
You know, I think um, sometimes people look at stories like mine and you see where I'm at now. You see where a person is at in their, you know, the sort of their overcoming phase. You don't see all the work that's been put in behind it. What I try to let people know is that, yes, you can. And you do it by starting out. You you can only go 10 miles by taking one step. You start out by taking one step. And so it's also a huge, huge benefit to encourage and ask for support from others when we're taking those steps, right? When we surround ourselves with other people that are heading in the same direction. So I just want people to know always that, yes, you can that we can do this together, that you do not have to do it alone. And the things that we tell ourselves are often lies. And whatever we tell ourselves is the truth, right? It's our truth. They might be lies, but it's our truth. So we have to be really careful what we tell ourselves. And if we want to change the message that we're telling ourselves, we do it the same way we adopted the message on that we're repeating to ourselves on a daily basis. We just start saying it. And so make a list of the things that you want to think and feel about yourself. Start looking at yourself in the mirror and saying those things out loud every day. Find other people that are heading in the same direction. Ask for the support of those people. More often than not, we don't want to feel alone. And that includes every human being on the face of this planet. So find me on my social media, talk to the professor of perseverance and really, really learn that we're not doing anything that nobody else isn't capable of doing. Amen, sister. Hey, you can't win the Super Bowl world series or any championship without a supporting cast. That's so, right. And you know, it all yeah. starts with the first step. Yeah, exactly. And and again, you don't have to agree with everybody 100%. You don't have to like yep. the people, but you need to respect each other and respect the decision, respect the help. So, That's right. All right, Jenny, thank you for being here. Everybody else, hey, be sure to share this out. You know, it's someone that can use some good inspiration today to help them get through the next level of their life. I'm Dr. James Perdue, the Professor of Perseverance. Thank you for being on the Professor of Perseverance podcast. Do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast for motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at professorofperseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.